welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. For more information on the podcast or on Talent 409, please visit talent409.com. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent 409, and connect with me on Twitter at Colin Talent 409. The Dynamic Leaders Facebook group is also a great way to interact. Type in Dynamic Leaders in your search bar and ask for an invitation to this exclusive group full of leading professionals. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcast. If you have time, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Leaving a review really does help grow the show and helps other people find us, and we really appreciate each and every review. Don't forget about the listener survey as well. There's a link to that in the show notes. You have until the end of the month to take a five-minute listener survey and enter for your chance to win a Talent 409 swag bag. So don't hold off. Take a minute here. Get it done. Get yourself eligible. And I appreciate the feedback for that as well. Today's guest on the podcast is John Wheeler. John is the head football coach and dean of students at St. Joseph's Catholic School in Greenville, South Carolina. He's also a former athlete, and we get into a lot about coaching and what athletics taught him that he now teaches his current student-athletes and a whole bunch more. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, and let's jam with Velvet Revolver. podcast today i have john wheeler on as a guest john thanks so much for joining the dynamic leaders podcast colin i really appreciate you having me on here man yeah absolutely we're gonna dive right into this conversation because we got a lot to get to today and i want to first as i do with all of my guests give you an opportunity to tell everybody who are you well um again my name's john wheeler and Head football coach here at a Catholic school. It's a two-way. We actually compete on the two-way public school level in South Carolina, and um, we're here in Greenville, South Carolina. Name of the school is St. Joseph's Catholic School, and I'm um, also, you know, don't just coach football. I'm, I'm basically the student life associate, which is basically, you know, fancy word for the dean of students, you know, and deal mainly with the discipline, you know, which there's not a ton of discipline issues um, at a Catholic school, you know, other than dress code for the most part. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So you obviously wear 
a lot of hats and we're going to get into much more of a detailed conversation about your current responsibilities as a head coach and what that all entails. But first I want to dive a little bit further back into your background. I know obviously you grew up playing athletics, you played football growing up. So let's start there. And if you want to kind of walk us through what that experience was like. Yeah. You know, basically uh, I grew up in a athletic family i'd like to say my, my father was a football coach college football coach and so i was around the game ever since i could remember when i was first around i just liked it for the snacks at the games you know going when I was going to the football games when i was little you know you get the, the hot dogs and, and the nachos the fries that that was the main event for me when i was little um and then when i got a little older appreciated music i liked to watch the bands but you know i didn't know what was going on you know so Again, at an early age, I was exposed, you know, to the game of football and really got me into sports in general. You know, so I played a lot of sport, a lot of different sports, tried a lot of different ones as I was coming up. You know, played football, obviously. Baseball was, was actually probably my favorite sport growing up when I was little. And then when I got into, you know, middle school, high school, you know, I tried wrestling a couple of years. I did basketball in middle school and ran track, I think, one or two years. So I was just kind of, you know, again, jack all trades and really mastered and I just enjoyed going out there and playing ball and, and um, hanging out with friends in, in the meantime. Yeah, so you grew up obviously pretty well-rounded and you mentioned that you liked baseball even more so than football, but football is where you went on to the next phase of your athletic career. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I ended up getting a football scholarship, very blessed, you know, to go to Wofford College, you know, small liberal arts school in Spartanburg, South Carolina. It's on Division One level. Not hadn't been Division One very long. You know, had a lot to do with uh, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, the former owner uh, Jay Richardson. He's a Wofford College graduate, so he put a lot of money into the athletic program at Wofford College, which you know um, allowed us to eventually get on Division One level. I think the late nineties and two thousand one was my freshman year at Wofford. You know, we competed in the Southern Conference, played schools, or we played schools back in the day. Now, a couple of these are Division One at Georgia Southern, App State. They're on the FBS level now, you know, Furman University, Western Carolina. So it was, it was a pretty competitive league. So very, very fortunate, very blessed to be able to you know, play some pretty, pretty good football on that level. When you decided that you wanted to make that pivot and that football was going to be the next phase of your athletic career, what was it like to you know, leave baseball behind or how did you even come to that decision? I just, as I was getting older, I started, I guess, maybe experienced a little more probably after my eighth and ninth grade years, really, when I decided I really wanted to, you know, football kind of became, a, you know, kind of jump baseball a little bit. That makes sense. Like, I had a really good experience in, in Little League with football and baseball. So, you know, I was very fortunate to be on some good teams. You know, I had some really good athletes. Um, I don't know, if, you know, I played with Tim Jennings. You know, he was my running back, who was an all-pro at, for the Chicago Bears and, and Indianapolis Colts. You know, he played like 13 years in the league. I was very fortunate to, to play. You know, I was I was the quarterback. So all I had to do was literally just pitch him the ball and he go score a touchdown. You know, <laughs> and so I enjoy. I, you know, I had some success because I was on some you know pretty good teams. And I, when you know, I was just I definitely played a little role, but. 
you know, football, eighth grade, we went 8-0, you know, or 9 or whatever it was, and won our little city championship middle school, and I was the court, start the court of being. You know, so I started getting success. When you have success, a lot of times it leads to having fun when you, when you win it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so ninth grade, rolled around, and I was starting JV quarterback. And so that's kind of, I guess, with my, you know, with football being always part of my life and starting to, you know, finally gain some success, you know, with football as I got older. You know, I think that's whenever it's probably going into my 10th grade years, whenever I really started to focus on football being my number one passion. And Awesome. And I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast or a good chunk of people that listen to this podcast, maybe at the high school level and getting ready to transition to college, playing the sport of their choice. Uh-huh. I love to give them feedback and advice from former collegiate athletes who have already done the juggle right? They've uh-huh. figured out how to play athletics and you played at the highest level in college and then also be a student and also try to be a regular person too, right? Have a social life, yeah. have some fun and yeah. everything like that. So what was that journey like for you? I mean, I felt like I was pretty well-rounded when it came to that, if that makes sense. I mean, not the, you know, I don't want to sound, you know, like I'm, I'm brat, you know, it's just, I felt like I was able to prioritize I remember my father was very big on whatever you're doing at the moment. That's the most important thing. But make sure you allot time out of each moment of your day to make sure that you're you're giving each each thing that's a, that's a part of your life the proper amount of time and care. Like weekends were obviously more for the friends. But the best best thing about playing sports was you could get that socializing at the same time. You know, like I rode to school with a buddy and then I rode home with another buddy. You know, so sports allowed me to have that social life while I was I was playing sports and then afterwards obviously was academics and I feel like for academics that was the key to athletics for me um if, if the academics weren't there there there, were no, there was no opportunity for my dream which was to play on the collegiate level so that that's all, that was always very important to me maybe not for the you know right reasons as far as oh just just to play college sports but you know, I definitely wanted opportunities for myself, you know, to play college sports, whether it was walking on or scholarship. But at the end of the day, I knew I had to make, make the grades. Um, and then it became just a competitive thing where, uh, you know, not a brag, bragging thing, but just I wanted to, I created a habit where I wanted to win, you know, win in the classroom as well, where, you know, I wanted to hear the teacher say the highest grade was a 97 and I want to look down on my paper. And see the 97 on there. I wouldn't tell anybody, even have and make a big deal about it. Um, it wasn't always me having the 97 or the highest grade, but I wanted, you know, I wanted to compete in that classroom. I wanted to be the best, just for me. I didn't, didn't want it to broadcast that I was smarter or better than anybody because I wasn't. Just wanted to compete and created a habit of that. Very cool. And I want to highlight something real quick and then dig a little deeper into what you just finished with, but. First, I want to say that I love how you highlighted the social aspect of playing sports because I think that, I don't know, maybe it's just me when I read about things or I hear other podcasts, we always hear about the difficulties of playing sports at the high school level, playing sports at the collegiate level and the travel involved and the sacrifices and the commitments that you have to make. But I mean, for me personally, some of my best friends are still from when I played sports growing up. And you mentioned that social aspect and being able to have that through sports and being able to meet new people and 
have uh-huh. friends and everything. I, I just love that you brought that up because I think it really highlights an important aspect of competition and what you do when you are playing a sport is building those relationships and building those friendships that sometimes are more influential than any other type of friendship you can make. And I'm seems like that you were able to experience that same type of thing that I was as well. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it sounds very similar. Um, what you're talking about is, I mean, I would say most of my best friends, I mean, like for instance, Jeff Barnes, I think was on your podcast before the one that, you know, I guess introduced us. I mean, we met through football. We actually played against each other in college. He kicked my butt when he was at South Carolina <laughs> my freshman year. When I was at Walford, we played against each other. And then we ended up working together and competing with each, you know, as far as, as coaches, you know, being on a team, you know, team of coaches and then guys that I'm in their weddings or wedding parties, whatever it is. I mean, guys I still keep in touch with are all former teammates somewhere along the line, whether they were middle school football, you know, whether they were little league baseball and middle school football and high school football, college football. I mean, most of them, you, you create that bond with each other because you, like you say, you spend so much time with each other and a lot of it's on the sideline. A lot of it's in the locker room before the game. A lot of it's on the bus to and from the game. And those are the memories, you know, a lot of times that you miss the most. Um, I think I heard, you know, you ever seen the book of Manning and Cooper Manning, which is the oldest one that no one really, you know, talks about a ton. Cause you got Archie, the father, and then Peyton, and then Eli, right? Those are the, the Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, you know. And, but Cooper was one, probably the one. His little interview in that book of Manning SEC story deal was that, that his interview probably affected me the most because he says what I miss most about football because he didn't get a chance to play his, you know, to achieve his dream because of an injury. He didn't get a chance to play at Ole Miss. He was enrolled in Ole Miss to play football where his dad played. And he didn't get a chance because of a of a um, spinal injury that he had. He said what he misses most about football is not scoring the touchdowns or the wins. He said it was a locker room. It was hanging with the guys. It was the bus rides home. He said, yeah, that's the good stuff. That was the good stuff, you know. And that's what, um, you know, I think athletics do that people don't realize. Absolutely. It's a huge positive thing that athletics can build those relationships that last a lifetime. And again, just really great that we highlighted that. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper. You mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned time management being something that it seems like you were really cognizant of early on in life. And just overall, it seems like through the way that you talk about things and the way that you compete and the way that you prepare, there just seems to be this internal drive. And I'm wondering, obviously, those things, you weren't born with the drive that you have today. It was something that you had to nurture a little bit. Same with the time management. You were better at it now, probably, than you were in college, and you were better in college than you were in high school. How do you go about getting better at some of those things, whether they're the things that we just mentioned or even other things that are important to you in your life? Well, I mean, I think you're hitting it on the nail is managing your time. And and even as an adult, like I feel like Colin, you can, you know, when you're an adult, you're probably making a little more money than you were in college. So therefore you have the ability to do a little more things, you know, I mean, I'm a high school football coach, so I'm not obviously not rolling in it, you know, but (laughs) you know, you have a little more residual income to where you, you desire to do more of a vacation, more vacations than you probably did when you're, you know, younger. Um, so I still battle the time management part of it, but 
I think it's the, um, you know, I heard Coach Spurrier say it one time whenever I was working at the University of South Carolina as a graduate assistant. He, we had a little team devotion where the team chaplain would get up there and give a message on Friday nights before away games. And we were in the hotel, and I was kind of sitting to the right of him. And I, can, I remember the team, team chaplain, the whole deal was, hey, let's, let's be encouraging of one another. So I'm going to say we're all going to say one word, encouraging word or phrase about another person in this room, whether it's a coach, whether it's a player. Team Chaplin started with Coach Spurrier, and he said, winner. Because, and he described, you know, basically, hey, this describes Steve Spurrier, Coach Spurrier. And he said, the reason why is because I've never met anybody that loves to win more than you, Coach. And then, you know, you, you write it down on you know, a piece of paper. I forget how exactly he did it. Um, and then so Coach Spurrier corrected him. You know, it was real, you know, he's like, he was actually, I hate to lose. He was like, I hate to lose more than I love to win. But appreciate it, you know. Then he kind of moved on. It was, it was very, I don't know how many people heard him, but I remember that stuck with me. I was like, man, you know, I think, you know, winning becomes, I, I try to make it a habit, you know, where, hey, this is this is what, this is my M.O. I want it to be my M.O., you know, is, is being successful and doing the things that it takes to increase your chance of, to be successful to where I expect to be successful, you know, because I put in the time and put in the work um, to do so. That's probably one of my drives. Uh, I don't want to get whooped. You know, I don't want to lose. And I always remember Coach Brewer saying that, you know, I don't know. I don't, I like to win. Don't get me wrong. But I hate those bus rides home when you lose. That, that stinks, you know, especially when I feel like I, you know, I got out coached or, you know, or we got outplayed. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And obviously, Coach Spurrier, super successful at the collegiate level, had some experience in the NFL as well, and just one of the best of all time. So to hear that from him, and because, you know, you've heard it before and other people talk about it. Winning isn't everything. There's more to winning than what success means when you win and when you don't win. And I think that the way you position it where it's more that you don't like to lose is definitely a different philosophy than you hear from most people. And I think that it allows you, and I'm sure maybe we can get into this in, in a little bit more detail later, but I'm sure now as a head coach, it's easier for you to relay those things to your kids and say, winning isn't everything. There's obviously more to the game and more to life, especially at that level. It's more about development and I think it's cool that you've had a different perspective and you were able to learn from somebody who was so successful and also had a perspective that didn't cater around winning as being everything. That's right. Awesome. So let's go back to college and uh-huh. you're playing football, you're in school, getting good grades, having the time of your life. When did you know that the next phase in your life was going to be something that you needed to start seriously thinking about? I tell you, I didn't really figure it out, Colin. I just didn't know. I was going into it. I took an AP biology course, which I really enjoyed, and anything that I felt like I was focused and focused my attention on, I felt like you know I could put the work in, get the reps in, to to be decent at, it, be pretty good. Not because, again, you know, I, I went to some school. You know, I'm sure you you might be this way. I mean, I went to school with some guys that literally the teacher would wake them up to answer questions in class when we play like a, a game, you know, in, in math class so we could learn whatever the, 
you know, whatever we were working on. And the, the guy would wake up and answer the question. I, I just was amazed by that, how somebody could just be so intelligent, <laughs> you know, like, and, and then make a 1580 on his SAT, you know, like sleeps in class every day. You know, I was like, man, that's just, that's, that's, that, are, that is way beyond where I am. You know, like I need to get the reps in, you know, I, I, I don't have that type of, I'm not blessed with that type of intelligence, you know? And so all that being said, I, I just didn't know. I, I felt like going into school, I tried to make biology, but then I was like, man, I, I really don't like blood. I'm kind of a wuss when it comes to that stuff, needles and, and all this, you know? So I decided late my sophomore year, I think it was exam week when you had to declare a major, I decided to, to do accounting. And the only reason why is because I was decent in math. And my accounting professor thought I, I, was, I had a decent little talent at it. And she told me that you could get, you know, a lot of job opportunities afterwards. And I knew that was important to set yourself up for a job, you know. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I did accounting and then got um, job opportunity through a teammate, you know, through a teammate of mine who was two years older than me, worked um, for an accounting firm right outside of Washington, D.C., Clay, Virginia, and had a time, you know, time of my life doing all that. But I was just living for the weekend. I met a lot of people through work, different people from, every, you know, New York, Maryland, Virginia area. Everybody made fun of my accent because I was from South Carolina. You know, it was, it, was, it was just a good time meeting new people from different areas of the country, you know. But the moment that really hit me was probably watching football and not being a part of it, you know, like for the first time in my life. It was the first football season where I wasn't at the game eating the hot dog when I was little. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I started being a middle schooler and going and being a ball boy, you know, for my dad's college games. And then I started playing football, you know. So it was the first time football wasn't in my life in some way. And it was weird. I was kind of itching to get back into it. And then I had an opportunity to go watch Virginia Tech play Miami, University of Miami Hurricanes. And my little cousins were in school at Virginia Tech, had family in Virginia. So they, they got me in the game, got me a ticket. Enter Sandman came on. I'm getting chills thinking about it. Enter Sandman came on. I don't know if you know anything about Blacksburg. 7.30 ESPN game. Oh, yeah. You know, Virginia Tech was like number two. Miami was like number four. It was one of them like Virginia Tech might have been 8 no. Miami was 7-1. and one. It was one of them like crazy primetime game of the week, game of the month probably. And it was rocking and rolling. I mean, that place was rocking and rolling. And just the excitement, the energy, the passion of that game. And I was locked into it watching, you know, watching the second, because I played secondary, played defense back. I was watching Virginia Tech secondary, how they're signaling, how they're into the game and communicating with each other. I was like, man, I want to get back involved in this. This thing gets, you know, my goosebumps rolling down. And that was the moment whenever I was like, I got to get back. I got to get back in this game. And so that's when it hit me that I wanted to be, wanted to get into coaching. So you didn't go right into coaching after college. You took some time no, between that. No, I kind of, I think I was, it was more of a rebellious thing where I was like, man, I don't, I don't need to follow my dad's footsteps. You know, <laughs> like I'm going to be my own man. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Type deal. I think that, that really hit me, that game. Yeah, no, that's super interesting though how – it brought you all back, right? Like you, uh -huh. you did try something different. You tried to create your own path, like you said, and you tried to go down a way that 
made sense to other people, but ultimately probably didn't make as much sense to you. And when you got back into that atmosphere, it just something clicked and uh-huh. it was so obvious to you what you needed to do. So yes. you went and you did it and you were a GA at South Carolina, correct? Yes. I actually um, was granted an opportunity from a good friend of mine now. And before he was, he was a, an assistant, you know, he's like the B team, either head coach or offensive coordinator for my high school. He was like the head graduate assistant at South Carolina. I called him because I was, I was calling everybody. You know, I was trying to, I wanted to get on and, and learn, learn football from, from a good program. And I knew him from my high school. He'd been there for a couple of years. And I asked him if there's any opportunities that he knew that may be coming up. He said, not right now. I said, well, it's in, it's close to my hometown. I'm sure I could find a buddy or my mom, somebody I could crash on and I'll, I'll suck it up. If there's an opportunity to get on there, I'll work for free. And he said, oh, okay, well, let me, let me talk with the defense. Cause he's working on the defense side of the ball as a graduate assistant. He said, let me talk to the defense coordinator and I'll get back with you. He calls me the next day and uh, leaves a message, tells me that, Hey, you know, it's not a spot, but I asked him if you could come volunteer and he said, yeah, come on. I thought that was the best opportunity of a lifetime for, you know, I think I was 23, 24. He'll work for the same staff where Coach Spurrier, Steve Spurrier is the head football coach. Grew up watching him on the sidelines of University of Florida. You know, I was like, wow, this is a great opportunity. My mom didn't think it was a great opportunity because I was leaving an accounting firm. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, just, I did it anyway. So quit my job. I went down there early June. Worked their football camps just to get a little change in my pocket. Slept on a buddy's couch for a couple months. And right before football season started, they needed someone to live in the dorms. And all the other GAs had already had their you know, leases they were locked into. And I was just available. And so it just worked out. A chance, uh, good Lord, whatever you want to call it. You know, it just worked out a couple months later that um, I was able to go to grad school, able to get roof over my head and my own bed. And, and um, get a little change in my pocket and, and work. I have a graduate assistant job right before the football season started. So it was definitely a little bit of luck and just being available. And obviously you were open to doing something completely different than the path that even probably six months before that happened, you probably didn't think you were going down. I'm going to ask you a question and you may or may not be able to answer it, but I'm really curious to hear what your thoughts are because I think a lot of us get into – the point where we're at a job and you know we're not feeling it and there may be uh-huh. another opportunity and it could be a drastic shift like something that you took or it could be a less drastic thing but either way it's a little bit of a leap of faith and i mean you mentioned you you were like i would work for free you know you were going to you were going to leave your good paying job stability uh-huh. retirement benefits all that type of stuff to uh-huh. go work for free. Like you said that, you just verbalized that. That was probably going through your head at the time. Yeah. How did you know that was the path that you were destined to go down, for lack of a better word, maybe? Because the reason I'm asking is because if you know that you can do this for free and that you love it so much and that eventually it's going to work out and you have so much faith in yourself and the process that you're going to take to get to that point. I mean, 
what does that take to get there? Because I think there's so many people that want to get to that point, but have no idea how. So I'm wondering if there's maybe some insight that you can give them to give them that push or give them that walkway to success that helped you get to where you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, there are so many different ways, you know, and this was just, first of all, this was just my path, you know? So this is just an, one tiny little example, obviously. And again, I'm, I'm not a Steve Spurrier or one of the Dabo Sweeney's or Nick Sayer or, or even their assistant coaches. So they may not want to take my path. So please, you know, this is not advice for everybody to follow. For me, it was just, I, I wanted to really just, I felt really passionate about wanting to get into football coaches, coaching because of the relationships I had from football. And also, as I got older, I started to appreciate the relationships I saw um, with my father and his former players, you know, that relationship, um, if that makes sense, and his coaches, his coaching buddies, you know. So I saw, I started to appreciate that and also just the love of the game, you know. So it's like, man, I can make my passion my profession. And I had a buddy of mine from Wofford, actually lives in Charlotte, um, Andrew Nelson, and his father, very successful businessman. He talked to him about make sure you're passionate, you know, do what you're passionate about and the money will come. When we were seniors in college, because we were both accounting majors. We didn't know exactly, you know, we didn't love accounting. We were decent at it, but we were like, oh, man, I can't wait to be a CPA one day. You know what I mean? Like, um, we were athletic, you know, we we're athletic dudes. And, you know, so at the time, we're 21, 22 years old. We weren't sure what exactly we wanted to do. And I remember that advice that his, that his father, you know, I was a very successful businessman, told him. And I thought it was really good advice. I was like, man, you know, if you're passionate about something, it means you're, it's going to increase your chances because you're focused on it. You're going to love what to do. You're going to have to be peeled from it as opposed to dreading doing it. So that increases your chances for success. And when you have success in something, usually money comes with that. You know, that's just the, I guess, the fruit of your labor if you're passionate at it and, and good at it. All that being said, I think there's got to be an opportunity. you got to be able to live, if that makes sense. You know, so you got to be able to have an opportunity. So. Again, there was somebody I knew there at the University of South Carolina. And number two, it was in my hometown. So that allowed me to have some shelter over my head. And, you know, my mom was right down the road just in case I ran out of money. Like, hey, she wasn't going to do it the whole time, you know, but she was she was going to help me a little bit. So I had a supportive mother, you know, whenever. And I'd save some money up whenever I was, um, cause I was living with in an apartment with one of my buddies. And so I was in, you know, I was in D.C., getting charged $600 for rent, which is extremely cheap in that area, you know? And so I was able to save some money up from my job. So number two, you got to be able, you know, definitely have to be able to live um, if you're going to take that chance. And number three, you got to be ready for that opportunity. I feel like I was ready because not, not necessarily my knowledge, but I was ready to work. The little knowledge I had, I knew I could continue and build off of in the game of football because I was ready to work. And I showed up like I was... You know, like I was getting paid, like one of the other graduate assistants. I showed up, you know, in khaki pants, whatever, you know, Coach Burrier, whatever the attire was, that's what I was going to show up in. That's, I guess that's my advice is, is make sure, you know, obviously there's an opportunity of people, at least there's somebody there you know and trust, you know, that created that opportunity. Number two, make sure that you're taken care of personally because you're not going to be able to do a good job if you're, you don't have the, the essentials of life, you know, food, shelter, and, and, and you know, place. You know, someone there to take care of you while you're taking this chance. And number 
number three, you better be ready for that. Be- better be ready for that opportunity. I mean, you be- better be ready to work and learn and listen and humble yourself. Are you an all or nothing person? Do you find you're either on or off the health and fitness wagon? Sweat with Stods has a program that helps you turn habits and fitness into a lifestyle. Healthy Habits is a program designed to help you make lasting incremental changes in your life that culminate into six new healthy habits. No working out required. With a few intentional minutes every day, you can have a huge impact on your health and life. This program focuses on water intake, steps per day, veggie intake, meditation, gratitude, and stretching. Six habits that will help you look and feel your best. And my listeners get a discount. Head to sweatwithstods.com and enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout for $10 off this program. I've done this program and one of the best things that came from it for me was to incorporate stretching and meditation into my daily routine. It does work. It's not an overnight process, but it's easy. It's incremental and you should really give it a try. And now back to the pot. I love that. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I know that wasn't the easiest question to Yeah, I'm sorry answer. I rambled right there. But, uh. <laughs> no, no, I think I think it's really great and I think one of the other super interesting aspects that you mentioned and maybe you didn't even realize it, but it seemed like one of the things that drew you to coaching was the same way that you were able to get that social and relationship part when you were a teammate and when you were competing, it was something that was missing when you were being an accountant and being a CPA, you didn't have that same opportunity to build those relationships. And you saw coaching because you saw what had happened with your dad and the relationships that he had. So it was almost like those things overlapped and it was just brought you back. And that was another aspect that said like, yes, this is the right career for me. This is the path that I should be going down. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the relationships at the end of the day are what, what it's all about. It's a beautiful, to me, it's a beautiful thing whenever people can come together and build that trust where I know I trust that he's in this thing just as much as I am and he's going to do his job to the best of his ability, just like I'm going to do, you know, and we trust each other, you know, so that goes down from assistant coaches, players. And that's what I told when I took this, you know, took the job back in June at a little parent coaching and player meeting just to introduce who I was. Number one thing for me is trust made one of my coaches stand up is be able to talk have this con- have a conversation face to face and then turn your back on somebody and not have to worry about a thing. And it's just a simple illustration, but that's what football did for me is it it really gave me people that I could trust through adversity, through through the game of football, on and off the field. I feel like on the field it instilled any or at least encouraged that trust, you know, in that relationship. Because with no in my opinion, with no, if, and no, with no trust, there is no true relationship. I mean, what relationship do you have if you don't have, if you, if you only have 75% trust, 60% trust? What kind of relationship is that? I love it. And now you, as you mentioned, just recently within the last year, took over as head coach at the high school you're working at. I'm really curious because there's a lot of people that, listen and I'm sure they want to be in a leadership position whether that's 
a head coaching position or a managerial position at their company. Talk to us a little bit about what it actually takes to be a head coach. Like, how did you get to the position of authority where people could trust you to make those decisions for the betterment of a team? I would say I try to be the best assistant to the best of my ability, whatever that was. You know, whenever I was a kid, I tried to do my job for that senior accountant as the best that I could possibly do. Whenever they corrected my work or looked over my work and hand me back the corrections, I made the corrections. So the main thing is I wanted to be the most accountable person I could possibly be for my superior. And I wanted to be a, you know, almost like essentially a good, a good soldier. That didn't mean just be a yes man or a do boy, you know, um, not saying that, but in order for you to be heard, you've got to be trusted. So that person who's my superior had to know that I had his back. If he knew I had his back, then when something came up that I thought we needed to do or, hey, coach, hey, superior, I think we need to change, maybe change this. You know, again, it's up to you. It's your call. You know, I'll back you, whatever. But I feel like this is what we need to do in order to be successful. He's not going to listen to that if he doesn't know first he can be or I could be trusted to do my job and do it to the best of my ability for him and this team. So that would probably be my advice is be the best assistant coach, most loyal assistant coach that you could possibly be if you're already in coaching. Because at the end of the day, that's going to make you a really good assistant coach. And when you're a really good assistant coach and you're on a really good football team, that means that head coach's word increases its stock. And if that head coach who you're working for says good things about you, then that increases your chances to be a head coach somewhere else. And that's how I became a head coach, in my opinion, was because I heard not I was great. I, not that I thought I was that great, but for some reason, you know, I just worked my tail off for the head coach that, that I worked for. His name's Eric Camry, one of the best in South Carolina. One of the best, that's, you know, probably ever coached in South Carolina, pound for pound, you know, as far as winning goes. So I was very blessed to, to learn and be under him. But he thought the world of me, at least by his words, <laughs> and, and I appreciate it. But I don't think he would have if he didn't feel like he could trust me. And I could be accountable. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think the other big thing that you're highlighting is that it took some time to get to be a head coach. Like you didn't just walk into it one day and was like, yep, I got the tools. I'm a head coach. It's not that simple. (laughs) No, I'm still learning. I mean, shoot, obviously we went five and five last year and barely made the playoffs and lost in the first round. So obviously I'm still learning how to be a head coach, you know, so I've got a lot, a lot of learning to keep doing. Sure. And take us a little deeper into the life of a head coach. So what is maybe let's start with what's one of the more challenging features of being a head coach. Maybe you realized it going in or maybe you didn't, but what is the most challenging thing that you think you've picked up on as a head coach? For me, the most challenging thing is probably delegating responsibilities, but I'm getting better at it where I just want to, hey, I'll go do the equipment. Sometimes you can't, you know, you're the, when you're the head coach, sometimes you can't, you're, you got to be on the field with everybody. Then someone 
oh, I need a mouthpiece. You know, the little things that I used to do as an assistant coach, you know, oh, I'll go get a coach. I got it. You know, I, I kind of want to still do that, but sometimes I just can't. And, and that's the thing is probably that's, that's, that's one of them. And then I would say another thing is just dealing nowadays is probably dealing with parents because parents are extremely involved you know, with their, their kids for, for the most part. I would say the job that I have in school is really helping me because sometimes I have to be the bad guy in school where, I, where I'm pretty much any referral that goes home, I'm saying it comes to my email, you know, so this is good practice for me. So whenever a kid's not getting the proper playing time that, you know, maybe the young man and or the parents think he, he may be getting, I have to deal with that. And how do I deal with that? And again, number one thing's trust and you got to be honest. But those are, you know, those are always difficult conversations. You know, you, you can't please everybody, but it doesn't mean you don't want to please everybody. So that's probably a couple of the most difficult things, being a head coach. You know, and, and for me, the, the I would say the public, you know, doing, getting out doing the public speaking stuff. I just want to coach sometimes. I just want to coach football. That's, you know, like I don't, I don't want to have to get up there and, and do parent meetings and talk about, you know, my like I'm a philosopher or something. I'm just, I'm a football coach. Yeah, I want to make a really good impact on your young man, but um, it's not going to be based off of this 20 minute speech I give you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, I can get you all raw rod, but, you know, I'd rather just go out there and show, you know, go out there and show you and let's create good habits. Let's, you know, how well do my words align with my actions? I'm not a big speech guy. Sure. And if we stick with the delegation piece, because I think that's. Uh-huh. Honestly, a challenge, like you said, for a lot of people in a lot of different industries. So this can go across the board. Do you think that now coming into your second year, that delegation has gotten easier because you've been able to trust your staff a little bit more? Like, do you think those things go hand in hand with the delegation yeah, piece? Yeah, you know, and that's probably that's a, that's a really good point, Colin. You know, it's like you hate to not say you don't trust them. It's just because you don't know them. It's not that you know. And, and that's we we hired our last coach. I think the week before the season started, because I took the job June 1st and we were, I was very select, you know, I was trying to be selected, but it was tough because a lot of people had already found coaching jobs, you know? And so that's probably another thing is learning to, to let go. But in the day, building that trust where, okay, Hey, defense bats coach. Yeah. I feel like we did a good job of, yeah, they might not get the scheme quite yet, hundred percent where they can just teach it like they're talking about their own job or their old job or whatever you know they were doing right before they took the job with me you know do we have that relationship where it's okay if they, I feel like the kids being taught maybe or, or might be a little confused you know, do we have that relationship where I'm like hey coach if you don't mind let you know I'll, I'll, I'll tell them real quick just so we don't have to tell a kid two three different things just to get them now now jeopardize the kids he might be confused now you know because coach told him one thing and then I, I came in and told him another thing so after practice he was doing it the wrong way I think you hit on the nail it's just building that relationship and also you know, getting around them to where they speak the same language as me teaching the coaches this summer was very challenging you're having to teach the kids but you're also having to teach the coaches the scheme which can be tough when you take a job in June but it was it was um yeah, you know, it, it was definitely a challenge and it was tough, but it was a fun challenge. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think this obviously gets overlooked quite often, but being a head coach is not easy. 
even when you mm-hmm. get into the position, it's still challenging and it's still very hard and you have to put a lot of hard work in long hours, have difficult conversations. But with that being said, I want to switch to the fun side of everything. Cause you mentioned it was a fun challenge. We don't want to forget that there is a lot of fun involved in this. So what is one of the most fun things about being a head coach in your opinion? Just seeing the kids when they're having success. This year was the stars aligned a little bit for us where right down the road rival who's won five state champ you know, they were I think they may have the all time record in state for wins in a row or something like that. It's Christchurch. They won like five state titles, four or five state titles in a row on the one A level. Now we've all moved up to the two A level. And this is my first year, and this that's like, oh, and they never beaten them. I think they were owing – I think this was only the ninth year this past season. Yeah, I think it was the ninth year that they that we've actually competed in varsity football. So, you know, this, this program's still a puppy. In those nine – you know, in those eight previous seasons, I think – I think they were either 0-10 or 0-11 because they would lose to them in the regular season. And then they would lose to them in the playoffs a couple years there. And so they'd never beaten their right-down-the-road rival, Christchurch. You know, in the same region, right down the roads. Parents work together, live in the same neighborhoods the whole night. And they just happened to be down, struggling with injuries this year. And just to, you know, and, and again, but we, it's not like we were – nine to no going into that game, you know, whatever it was. But we were able to, to win that ball game. Which before we took the job, I mean, they were wondering if we were even gonna have a full football team because they'd gone through two coaches in two years. Interest in football was, you know, because of the constant turnover was starting to dwindle and you know, so just to see those kids, so we took kind of a us against the world mentality. You know, with that, you know, with that approach, you know, it was great. Like I had a coach call me that we were in a jamboree before the before the season. He calls me and goes, "Hey, coach, I'm at, at, at in Charleston for the high school league coaches meeting, and a couple people I'm hearing you guys are going to drop your program." And it was great. I was like, "Oh man, now the stuff I've been telling the guys this summer, we actually have some billboard material, some locker room material." You know, like that coach literally said that. I said, who told you? Oh, I don't want to say. And I said, okay. So I, I told the team, you know, I said, guys, you got other, other teams hoping we're done. that We don't have a football program. And just to see those kids accomplish, beat teams that have been around, beat a championship caliber program, even though they were down this year. You know, just the fact that we weren't even supposed to have a team this year and they end up doing stuff, doing something that no other team has done in the history of the program. It was just great to see them. It was senior night, so we only had five seniors on the football team. Two of them are going to go play for Furman. And just to see after they got done with their, you know, walking with their parents to, to go and pump the crowd up because we were up 21 to three at halftime, you know, like just to, to see their excitement, that to me, that's the good stuff. You know, it's just it's seeing that excitement. You know, that's the fun stuff for me. Obviously, winning a championship would be awesome too. But we, <laughs> we didn't do we didn't do that last year. So no, but you're taking it one step at a time, and you're providing some much needed stability, as you mentioned, to the school. So that will come as a result. I mean, I think that's probably one of the most important things is the stability. And then you're able to build on the foundation from there. So 
you know, you can definitely get there. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, not going to happen overnight. <laughs> yeah, and we got some good teams that we compete against. So, you know, it's just always going to be pretty tough, you know. So, yeah, yeah, but it's awesome uh, to hear that the kids, you know, they don't give up even in light of the adversity and the tough times that they have endured in the past. And that is a really great story of them having that success and beating that team, even though, like you said, they were dealing with some injuries. Whenever you get to beat somebody who has that pedigree, I think it's just a huge boost for morale. Yeah, and it, was, for, it was awesome. I mean, you know, we, we gave each senior, it's only five seniors, give each senior like one of those little uh, game balls, you know, for, for that game. First win over Christ, you know, it was, it was just a great moment for those young men that decided not to give it up because they had probably five to, you know, five to eight more seniors that decided not to play going into their senior year because the coach had to leave for whatever, you know, it's not that coach's fault, you know, that's the nature of our business. But um, going into their senior year, they didn't know who was going to coach their football team. And so they had a bunch of their classmates decide to not play. And and you can't blame them on, you know, in, in one sense, I understand, you know, but hey, doesn't mean you can't praise those few and the proud five seniors that, that stuck stuck around to keep the football program alive. Sure. You know, you know I was very proud of those five guys for doing that. Yeah, you'll never forget them for as long as you are in this profession, that's for sure. So as we move towards the last portion of our conversation here, I want to talk a little learning and development and one of the things that I'm always most curious is how leaders such as yourself, how you continue to grow and develop and who you learn from and where you learn from. And the first question is pertaining to either podcasts or books or articles, something like that. Is there something on the regular that you consume where you get your learning and your development from? And if so, can you tell us a little bit about those things? A lot of times... I like to hear some of the, the greatest that's been in sports, been in athletics. I like to hear interviews, you know what I mean? Maybe not necessarily podcasts or anything like that. You know, I like to hear their interviews. Like I, like I love watching like NBA basketball, you know, I wasn't a huge you know, basketball guy or whatever, but I really enjoy watching it. And, you know, like the Lakers growing up, my mom, I think like the Lakers. So I like Magic Johnson. I knew Larry Bird was his enemy. And then Michael Jordan ended up being the other enemy. But then as I got older, I got an appreciation for how great they were, you know. And so I started hearing interviews, whether it was interviews. And sometimes the best interviews about me, you learn so much, is not necessarily the interviews of Michael Jordan it's or, or Larry Bird, but it's the interviews about those players from their peers, from their competitors. Those are some of the best ones, in my opinion, that, you know, how, not, not necessarily how, what's Larry Bird think about Larry Bird, but what did Dominique Wilkins and Xavier Daniel, Magic Johnson think of Larry Bird? That's where I probably get a lot of my competitive spirit, you know, try to create that competitive chippiness edge, you know, that edge is, is hearing what, you know, from those guys, what made them tick, what made them compete so consistently at that high level and have that drive to be the best, um, not only from them, but from their competitors. Like, what made it to where, man, like, really, really talented, really good basketball players or football players, you know, whatever it is, really good athletes, what made them literally crown someone else 
better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what made them throw in the white towel, you know? And that's, those are things that really, um, I like to, I like to listen to and watch. Try to instill in myself and also, you know, at the end of practice or before practice, you know, give little excerpts to, you know, relay that to my kids, you know. Because a lot of times, kids, you know, they hear so much from me as a coach. You know, a lot of times they don't want to hear just from me. If, if they hear, hey, you guys know who LeBron James is or Kobe Bryant, they'll go, oh, yeah. They, they might perk up a little more, you know, because they've heard Coach Wheeler's Southern voice all summer long. And they're kind of <laughs> tired, sick and tired of hearing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's always good to, you know, have, have some clout to what I'm about to say. Yeah, absolutely. It's that parent-child relationship where if you can tell them yeah if you could tell them LeBron James almost said like it a, almost like a yeah year-round type thing you, you know the weight room it's not as intense as far as the time consumption but it still is intense you know as far as hey you know make sure you get get at least a couple lifts in a week and all that you know trying to be around them a little bit um even in off season so it's a, it's, it's a long haul yeah absolutely and Final question for me today is to get an idea. I know that there's a lot of influencers in our lives and a lot of people who touch us and motivate us and teach us in a lot of different ways. But if you could shout out one person who's a dynamic leader in your life and why they're a dynamic leader, you want to tell us a little bit about them, who would that person be? I would probably say um, my head football coach from college. Mike Ayers. He was a, at Wofford College for 30 years. He's the Eddie Robinson Award winner my junior year. That's, that's, you know, I think it's one of the National Coaches of the Year awards. He's already in Southern Conference Hall of Fame. He'll probably be a South Carolina Hall of Fame guy. Anyways, I would say he's the most dynamic leader, in my opinion, because he had it all. kind of had literally had a, a dynamic spirit to him, you know, dynamic um, personality where he, he had the mil, you know, that military old school coach about him. I mean, he, you know, which a lot, I think a lot came, you know, from him playing college football back in the 60s and 70s. And also he was a Marine, you know, for I think maybe five years, you know, he was, he served in the Marines, but he also has a huge, huge heart. You know, the same guy, you know, when I got stuck in snow outside of Spartanburg in my car, came at 10 o'clock with his truck and got me out of there. And this was after I was done playing for him, like four years after I was done playing for him. And still returns my phone calls and, and called me to check on me. You know, he's coached, I mean, thousands upon thousands of football players. Still comes and speaks to my team. You know, he spoke to my team before the game or before, um, before the season started, preseason. And uh, came to a couple practices, came to like maybe four or five games this year. And he's not, and he's not just about football; it's about the person, which is the huge, huge part. He's, he's, he's about developing the person and being there for him. That's probably the most dynamic leader I've ever been around. You know, because he takes it beyond football. Everybody talks about it, but he he actually he he does it. I mean, he takes it beyond the game of football. Yeah, it's not surprising to me that he's your choice because it seems like it goes back to the relationship. And that's, I mean, how many times have we talked about that today throughout the course of the conversation? And for you to still have a relationship with him where you know now he's coming in to speak to your team before games and still a part of your life and 
wanting to know about you as a person and not just as a football coach that uh-huh. is so really cool and awesome that you've been able to have that relationship for so many years now. Yes. Yeah. It's very, I'm very blessed for sure. Yeah. So John, any last pieces of advice or any last words that you want to leave us with before we let you go today? I mean, I would just say to any listener out there, just don't be afraid to dream your dreams and, and go after them. If you do have your you know, dreams, I mean, they're there for a reason, in my opinion, and go after them. You know, don't, don't think that you can't get it done because that's what it's all about. It's, it's not necessarily achieving them, but not, not being afraid to go after them. You know, that's, that's when you start really living, in my opinion. Yeah, that's and that's, it. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're all trying to get to. So I uh, definitely appreciate that. And John, if there's uh, anyone that maybe wants to reach out to you, if they enjoyed the conversation, maybe want to talk to you a little bit more about something or just want to learn more about you, where would you send the listeners? Uh, shoot me an email is probably the best way. You know, nowadays I've got so many random, I'm sure you get them too, Colin, or you get random phone calls from different people acting like they're selling this. <laughs> I would say probably my email first. And it's uh, J, the letter J, Wheeler, W-H-E-E-L-E-R, at sjcatholicschool.org. And sjcatholicschool is all one word. Just shoot me an email. You know, I'd love to you know, chat with anybody if they would like. Awesome. And I'll make sure that I put that information into the show notes. So it's really easy for people to reference as we always do for our guests. But John, really appreciate you taking time to chat with us today and share all of your experiences, your expertise. Definitely looking forward to following along with your progression and all the successes that you have as a head coach now and seeing the team continue to improve over the years but i've really enjoyed the conversation and i hope you have as well oh i appreciate it thanks for taking the time thanks again to john for hopping on the podcast today and sharing all of his experiences his story through athletics and now as a coach and we certainly wish him the best of luck in the future being a younger coach there's a lot of excitement and a lot of things to look forward to and i know john's gonna do some great things we'll have to revisit with him in the future but Thanks again to our sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Check out www.sweatwithstods to learn more about what she can do for your fitness future. And as always, thanks to you, the listeners, for taking time out of your schedule to listen to the podcast. We are back next week with the fifth guest of the month of April. This is the first time we've ever done five guests in one month. So stay tuned for that. And until next time, take it easy.